Welcome to the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast with your host, Ellen Wright, family law attorney, divorce coach, entrepreneur, and motivational speaker, discussing all things divorce and helping you learn to keep the pain of separation from holding you back. And now, your host, Ellen Wright. Hi, this is Ellen Wright. Welcome to episode two of the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about absolute divorce for beginners. So this is Divorce 101 for anyone who is thinking about divorce or is trying to develop a pre-divorce plan or a pre-divorce strategy. So divorce is a massive and life-changing event. Even under the best of circumstances, going through divorce can be super daunting, and sometimes the road ahead has twists and bumps and turns that you just can't always anticipate or expect. But the good news is people who are facing a divorce process on the horizon can take steps to make pre-divorce preparations so that when the time comes to finally dissolve the marriage, it'll go as smooth as possible without any complicating factors that could have been sort of pruned at the outset of the entire process. So these issues often involve things like parenting arrangements, talking about who is going to live where, figuring out attorney's fees, child support, how bank accounts are going to be divided, and just generally trying to get your paperwork in order so that your attorney has all of the information at his or her fingertips and doesn't have any sort of last-minute surprises because they don't have the information that they need to move the case forward. Depending upon where you live and the complexity of your marriage and your affairs, some of these issues might be relatively cut and dry, but other times they're going to be needing more creative thought and planning and making a roadmap for a solid exit strategy. So the first thing that you need to do before you really start talking to an attorney is get organized and start closing um, any joint accounts and start taking preliminary steps to really um, separate your financial accounts if they're commingled. So a divorce attorney's worst nightmare a lot of times is when a client comes in and they're disorganized and they don't really have a handle on where their important financial documents are. Um, I see this a lot of times in situations where you've got one spouse who's primarily responsible for paying all the bills and managing the money, and another spouse just sort of goes along and they're in the dark about where the money's going, what the household expenses look like, what is in savings accounts, and they just sort of have fallen into this pattern of not being well-informed about household finances. So when a divorce is filed, um, all of these issues come to light. There's going to be no more not knowing about where money is. Bank statements are going to be exchanged, and there's going to be full and fair financial disclosure. So as best you can at the initial stages, try to get organized based upon the information that you have and the information that you have access to. 
reliable information is super important for an attorney to give any kind of sound advice. Um, And it's always going to be in your best interest to make sure information is organized and complete. And the other piece of this is that it's going to help cut down on your attorney's fees because the less time your attorney has to spend chasing down documents and trying to get information, the less time they're going to have to spend on your case, which is going to reflect in your legal bill. So in Massachusetts, what I ask my clients to be prepared to produce at the minimum um, information about health and dental coverage that is available to you through your employer. Maybe you have a plan through the Commonwealth Connector. Whatever you have or you have access to, we need information about that. So sometimes you can get that from your HR department in the forms of like a benefits brochure or a pamphlet. Um, But whatever you get, we ask people to start making those inquiries right away. We also like to see four recent pay stubs, three years worth of bank statements, that's joint and separate, three years worth of tax returns, three years worth of retirement statements, and copies of any loan applications that were made within the past three years. So this might sound like a lot, and there are times when people come in and they're just like, I don't have this, or I have it, but I don't know where it is. Um, that's okay. At least if you have the checklist and you can get started on collecting it, it gives us a starting point. Later on in the case, your attorney might ask for things like credit card statements. If you've got any 529 college savings plans for the kids, information about life insurance policies, um, other things like that may be requested later on. But again, you got to take the initial steps to start collecting the information at the outset. It's going to save you a lot of aggravation later on. Once you've got yourself somewhat organized, it's really time to start shopping for a lawyer and interviewing some potential good candidates that might be a good fit for you in terms of family court representation. So it's always going to be wise to get the advice of counsel early on. Um, You should start interviewing a handful of attorneys and ask those attorneys the same questions and don't be afraid to compare answers. You can get a feel for the person, um, if you're comfortable with them, if you feel like that's someone that you're going to be able to work well with and trust then they might be a really good fit for you. Um, But it's important to start shopping early on so that you first off get information from attorneys about how they bill, how they manage their practice. You also want to get an idea of how they would develop a case strategy for you based on your circumstances. The attorney is also going to be able to let you know of any foreseeable issues that might happen once the paperwork is filed. So it's really important to start looking for an attorney right away if you're thinking about filing for divorce in the not-too-distant future. So the next thing you want to do after you've hired an attorney is think about whether or not you want to open a post office box. There are a few reasons why it might be beneficial for you to do this, although it may not be totally necessary. 
Opening a post office box is going to help you if you are the kind of person who's inclined to lose important letters and paperwork during your pre-divorce preparations. Um, If mail's coming to the house and, you know, it gets tossed on the kitchen table and then someone comes along and moves it or there's a chance that important documents might get... um, tossed out inadvertently with the junk mail. I know in my house, my kids are constantly moving things around and sometimes I find mail in random places. But it's important to really think about whether or not a post office box is going to help you stay organized. The other key to this is a post office box is going to be essential if you've hired an attorney and the attorney is going to be sending paperwork to the house, but you haven't really talked to your spouse about separation and you just haven't been in a place to have that conversation yet. It may be wise to have the mail diverted to a post office box so that you can sort of plan your timeline in terms of when you want to have that conversation with your ex, soon to be ex. And that goes, again, to confidentiality. A post office box is going to give you some peace of mind that your paperwork and any new bank statements, credit card statements, letters from your lawyer are going to be kept confidential. Um, With regard to bills and the like, you know, there's always the ability to set up online portals um, with online accounts for bank utilities and things like that. So as long as you have passwords that give you access to all of this information, it could help managing missing mail less relevant. Another option is to sign up for informed delivery through the U.S. Postal Service. And again, this is a really great alternative to a post office box. So this is a free service. And once you sign up, you can log in and look at an online dashboard to view outside envelopes of mail that's coming to the house. Um, With this service, it's going to help you to be able to determine if any of your mail is missing. So there'll be no more rushing home to get there before your spouse does just to get a look at the mail. Um, You can get more information on how this works at www.informeddelivery.usps.com. And I'll put that link in the show notes to the episode. Enjoying this episode of the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast? Get even more valuable tips and tricks on pre-divorce planning by downloading our step-by-step guide on how to divorce for beginners. Go to rightfamilylawgroup.com forward slash guides. That's rightfamilylawgroup forward slash guides and get your free copy today. So back in line with what I had said earlier about finances, we want to start seeing clients separating finances as best they can in terms of a pre-divorce plan. And a lot of times that involves closing joint credit cards. So why is it important to close joint credit cards and why do we need to do it? Um, So you don't want to be in a situation where you're going to be responsible for your ex's continued spending, and this can happen in a divorce situation when liabilities are largely treated as marital and everyone's responsible for everyone else's spending. And 
If you've got separate credit cards, it's going to help you establish your own individual credit as well if you've sort of been riding on your spouse's coattails in terms of um, credit. Also, separate credit cards um, are going to help you better manage your own spending. If you're not reviewing credit card statements month to month, trying to figure out, okay, did I buy this or did my spouse buy that? Um, You know, what's my fair share? It's going to keep it much easier to have a handle on where your money is going. If you're worried about your finances because your ex is a spendaholic um, and loves to use the credit cards, there are steps that you can take to sort of curb that behavior. So you could take your spouse off as an authorized user or call the credit card company and ask them to put a spending limit on the line of credit so that they can't exceed what that limit is. Before you file for divorce, you also really want to think long and hard about a good way to save money. If you can, it's really wise to set up a private savings account so that you have a nest egg for lawyers' fees, retainers, um, money to cover um, moving expenses, or if your ex leaves the house and stops paying the bills. It's huge if you have a cushion to fall back on to cover these expenses. So next you want to start thinking about living arrangements after the divorce and what that's going to look like. So finding a place to live, um, especially in the greater Boston area on short notice, can be really difficult. And the current housing market, as we all know, is super tight. And you want to make sure that you're giving enough time and consideration um, when considering all of these factors. When you're looking at new apartments or Uh, maybe a townhouse or a new place to live, the first consideration you want to make if you've got kids is making sure that there's enough space for everyone to be comfortable. Um, If you've got more than one child, you want to make sure that there's enough bedrooms for everybody. Um, And you want to make sure that your prospective apartment um, or new living situation is close to their schools or as close as you can be. This is really important because moving into an apartment that doesn't have adequate space could limit the amount of parenting time you're going to get in the divorce. And a lot of times if parenting time is forfeited, it's not always easy to get it back. So these are considerations you need to keep in mind early on. Cost is also another factor that plays a huge role into the housing arrangement. Um, A divorce is a great opportunity to sort of simplify your life and eliminate unnecessary expenses. So you've got to do what you can up front to protect your financial resources. We see a lot of times people overextend themselves and then end up needing to file for bankruptcy after a divorce. So we recommend that when you can, downsize wherever possible. When you're considering where to live... It's also a really great time to start thinking about what personal items are worth keeping and what your spouse is going to want. And anything that neither of you really want is really likely going to be sold or donated. Keep in mind, though, if you're moving out of the marital home and you're leaving personal items behind that you're going to want later, it's wise to take a date-stamped photograph of what it is and where it is so that 
later on, if the proceeding goes south and your spouse might get vengeful, um, things go missing or damaged or what have you, you've got proof that it was there and you can ask to be compensated with an offset from the marital estate accordingly. If you and your ex share uh, computers at the house and there's any saved passwords, it's also a good idea to reset passwords and change them so that your spouse can't access any social media accounts, email, things like that. I recommend that my clients deactivate their Facebook accounts during the course of any divorce proceeding. A lot of times people make posts, uh, friends, family may weigh in, and they can be controversial. They can often create more problems than they solve. Um, And the reality is social media is great. I mean, I have it. It's great to stay connected with family and friends. But, you know, there's a lot of emotion um, that goes into a divorce. There can be a lot of issues in dispute, and sometimes there's commentary made, there's remarks made, posts left that could be construed as disparaging, even if it's not necessarily intended that way. It can often ignite an argument that could otherwise be avoided. So I recommend that social media just be avoided altogether. Finally, if you've been a spouse who's been relying heavily um, on the other spouse for support, meaning you've been the stay-at-home parent or you've been um, maybe in school or doing other things besides working, it's really important to start thinking about career plans, especially if you're in a situation like I described where you're just not entirely self-sufficient. A lot of times we see that the ability to support oneself um, after a separation is a driving factor in whether or not people get divorced in the first place. So if this is something that you're serious about and you're in a marriage where you just can't see it going on, then you really need to start thinking about maybe some career counseling, retraining, or going back to school if the marriage is such that an alimony award isn't going to be likely. And remember that there's also a chance that by being proactive, a judge could be more likely to look favorably on your situation when they're entering a support order when your case is heard. So my last pointer for today's episode is to stay single. Starting a romantic relationship outside of your marriage can be a huge point of contention in court, and it doesn't necessarily even matter when the relationship began. The reality is that your ex's lawyer could use texts and messages and phone logs against you to show infidelity. And even though it's not totally likely in Massachusetts, it could railroad your divorce into a fault-based type of category, which makes for a much more messy divorce. Staying single during your pre-divorce and the divorce process is also going to give you time to really think through your life situation and give you more clarity and more personal space that you need during this emotional time that you're going to be going through. 
If you've got kids, uh, it's not going to bode well for you in court if you've introduced any prospective girlfriends or boyfriends to the children. So that, we tell people, is really a big no-no. So the bottom line is having a boyfriend or a girlfriend during the pre-divorce planning process or even really during the divorce process um, is going to cause hiccups and could really create more problems than it solves. It's nice to have someone in your life that's going to walk through the process with you and be there for you, Um, but rather than relying on a romantic relationship, we encourage our clients to join a divorce support group or maybe get a therapist. So getting pre-divorce advice and planning, as we've discussed today, is a super practical step to take when your marriage is broken and totally beyond repair. By thinking ahead, you're going to be able to make smarter choices with a clear mind and avoid the frustration as you move forward with the divorce process. So some of our takeaways from today's episode are hire an attorney when you know that you're going to be going through the divorce without a question. Think about opening a P.O. box to reroute your mail during the divorce process. Get as organized as you can, collecting the financial paperwork that your attorney is going to need. Also, try working on opening new accounts and closing joint accounts as needed based upon your ability to do it. Do your best to save some money so that you have a nest egg for legal expenses and personal expenses as you move through the process. Consider shutting down social media accounts and changing all passwords to email and other online portals. Think about what your living arrangements are going to look like after the divorce, and if you can, start finding a place to live before you start the divorce process. And definitely consider putting any romantic relationships on the back burner during the pre-divorce planning process and during the divorce process if you've got kids. Thanks for joining us today. I'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast is not legal, financial, or tax advice, nor should it be construed as such. We recommend that you consult a qualified legal or tax professional before making any decisions about any of the topics discussed in our broadcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe. To catch all the latest from the Wright Family Law Group, sign up for our email list and newsletter on our website at rightfamilylawgroup.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.